This scripture passage this morning is from 1 Kings 3, 3 through 15 in the New Revised Standard Version. You can also find it in the CEB in your pew Bibles on page 423. Hear now the word of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David only. He sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself an understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind, and no one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem, where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being, and provided a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we have a guest preacher with us. I want to introduce to you all this morning uh, Paul Kim. Uh, Paul is an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church, but we, we take all <laughs> people here in our church. We're people of love and grace, so we'll accept that. And uh, But he's also, more importantly, uh, I've gotten to know Paul because he is the minister of church and community relations across 3rd Avenue, across the street here at Seattle Pacific University. And so we've been working together. We've done a small group working with student leaders together. We have also done uh, worked on internship and working with SPU interns together. And we're in the process of doing that actually right now. So I've gotten to know Paul over the past couple years and thought it would be great to have him come and share this morning and uh, about the Word of God here this morning as he comes. He's a father of two boys, four and two. Almost two. Almost two. Uh, Aaron, was Aaron and Elliot. Elliot, his wife Carol. And I understand you didn't get a lot of sleep last night. No. So because you have two and four-year-old in your house, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so but I, I think uh, his message is great this morning and will challenge us as well as I like some of the funny stuff that he tells us as well. So that's good. Um, but I want to welcome Paul this morning. I also want to just uh, pray for Paul this morning as he comes and gives us the word. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for preparing his heart, his mind, 
And even though lacking sleep, we know, Lord, that you work through us and in us and even in spite of us sometimes. And Lord, would you just help us to hear what your Holy Spirit wants us to hear this morning, whatever it is that we need to hear from you, God. Would you speak to us in this moment? Would you speak through Paul to us, through your Holy Spirit to us, and through his insights and teaching this morning? But Lord, we really want to just hear from you, want to hear from your Holy Spirit what you want to say to us how we might grow, how we might be faithful, how we might be challenged to be your people this morning. So Lord, we invite you to come and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you here and at home. And, um, and I thank you for the privilege of coming before you this morning, even as a Presbyterian pastor, don't hold it against me, and if I say something bad or you don't like me, don't hold it against any one of my colleagues in the other Presbyterian churches. Uh, as Pastor Matt said, I am tired, uh, but I am glad because uh, the heat broke, right? It's a little cooler this morning, and I live up in Linwood, and so I got to actually see blue sky, um, so the smoke is clearing, so that's a good thing. Uh, my two-year, you know, as a parent, uh, it's you know, people warned me this, but I didn't realize how different children can be that come from the same parents. Our first child could sleep through the night, and it was no big deal, it was great, and we thought, yeah, we'll have a second. And our second came, and not so much. <laughs> he wakes up a lot. Uh, last night, he woke up because of the heat twice, I think around 2 o'clock, and then 4 or 5? I don't know, because it's all a blur. But I am glad to be here with you this morning. And I bring greetings from across the street, from University Ministries at SPU, and uh, Pastor, Pastor Matt uh, said that part of my role is to uh, collaborate with churches and leaders for ministry, and it's been a pleasure to work with Pastor Matt. I'm trying to be more like him. Uh, I'm wearing shoes like him. Uh, I, I don't know if it's like pastor dress type of thing, but I'm trying to be more like him, and uh, learn from him as well. And we've really valued the partnership that we felt with First Free and hope to continue to work together um, in the future for, our, for the good of all of our communities, whether campus, church, and um, in our city. According to the church calendar today, today marks the 12th Sunday of Pentecost. Uh, you remember Pentecost, right? It happened uh, a while back, well, 12 weeks ago. And uh, today marks the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. Um, and it's kind of, it's sort of an official designation. We're not, I'm not just counting 12 Sundays, but it literally says on the church calendar, if you follow kind of the liturgical calendar, that it's the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. And it reminds us that we are still living into and working out what it means to be a people of faith, living by the Spirit. And I think this morning's passage from 1 Kings brings up some important considerations to this as we do this. Now, for some context, um, <clears throat> this passage, uh, our passage this morning, um, King Solomon uh, just takes over the throne. So it just happened recently, right? And how this happens is not something that I'm really going to get into today. There's, uh, there's so much more that can be said about that. There's, and, and in fact, there's so much that could be said about our passage, but I'm going to lead you just a few things. Anyway, King Solomon takes over the throne, and this doesn't happen smoothly. I'm not going to go into it. If you read it, uh, you can learn more. But let's just say it wasn't smooth. 
uh, as in, as, you know, the church, people have this perception that the Bible and the church is neat and tidy. Well, that wasn't the case, uh, as is often not the case in the Old Testament. And uh, let's just say there was some maneuvering, there was some politics, there was some, you know, manipulation, there's all sorts of things. But here we find King Solomon on the throne, and it says that he, uh, he even says he's but a child, and, and there's some uh, scholars think that maybe he was, in fact, in his te- early years, maybe his teens. This passage also comes right before uh, the section in, in 1 Kings where, that makes King, one of the stories that makes King Solomon legendary. Uh, the story of the two mothers fighting over a child and them going to King Solomon and trying to decide, well, who's the real mom? And if you read the story, you will, it's, it's, I don't want to get into so many details, but basically, uh, he's going to say, well, you guys can have half, half of the child each. And, and the real mom says, no, 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 let the other person have this child. And through that, King Solomon discerned that only a mom only the real mom would preserve the child over their own self-interest, right? And so this is the stuff that makes King Solomon legendary. So let's get into our passage. And this morning, as we go through the passage, what I'd like to do, and thank you, I think it was Caleb that read the passage. Uh, as we go through this passage, I'm just gonna lift up some verses and just kinda, kinda lift up some thoughts I have about them. And hopefully we'll tie it all together towards the end. So the passage starts off with, uh, King Solomon, he, it says that he loved the Lord and he was walking in his statutes like his father, King David, only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. So the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the principal high place. Um, this is, you know, it, the, the, the passage doesn't come right, come right out and say it, but it's pejorative. You know, the high places are places where uh, God's people should not be sacrificing, right? It's the place of sacrifice to other gods. And evidently, while Solomon loved the Lord, he seemed to have been making offerings at Gibeon. He went to Gibeon to the high places. Now, you know, the temple, he had not built the temple yet, and so he needed a place, I suppose. But but he went to these places where he shouldn't have been, and it raised eyebrows. And the people who, uh, especially the ancients who read this passage, would, they would raise an eyebrow and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? And while this isn't immediately condemned in our passage, the inference is there that this was not a good thing. You know, he was great only, but he offered sacrifice in the high places. While this was not good, it seemed that for now in our passage it was overlooked. And so at Gibeon, uh, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And in that dream, God asks this question, or says this, ask what I should give you. Basically, what do you want? Ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Now this is the classic genie in the lamp moment, right? Where, Where you get to ask for anything in the world and it'll be yours. As a parent of young children, that's the last question I'm going to ask my children, right? Whatever you want, you can have. Now, my two-year-old, he, you know, he's still figuring out the world. My four-year-old, on the other hand, he would have a whole litany of things he would want. He would want Sour Patch Kids. He would want uh, chips. He would want 
uh, what else does he like? Oh, he wants transformers. Everything's a transformer for him. And he would want dun-dun. What is dun-dun? Well, one day he said to me, Dad, I want to watch dun-dun. And I said, well, what's dun-dun? He goes, you know, dun-dun. I'm like, I don't know what dun-dun is. Uh, and then I was just like, whatever. I, you know, I got frustrated. I turned on the TV because the night before I was watching Netflix with my wife because that's what you do in pandemic. You turn on Netflix at night and eat chips and whatever you want, right? And I turned it on and uh, we, because we had been watching Netflix, when you turn on the TV the next morning, what comes up? Netflix comes up, and what does it do? It says, Netflix, the logo comes up, and it goes, dun-dun. And then my, my son goes, see, that's what I want, dun-dun. <laughs> that's his dun-dun. Uh, YouTube is Triangle. He doesn't know what YouTube is, but he says, I want to watch Triangle, because that's YouTube, right, the logo. That's how he associates in this world. Anyway, I don't want to, I'm afraid this, what I, all the things I've just been telling you tells more about me as a parent than, than anything else. Uh, I'm better than that, I hope. <laughs> I don't just watch, not, let my kids watch Netflix all the time, you know, yada, yada. Anyway, if we were to tell our children what you want, because I would never do that, they would ask for all of these things, right, and more. So the natural question to, when, when King Solomon asked this question by God, what do you want, and I'll give it to you, we would think we could come up with all sorts of things, right? I could come up with all sorts of things. Just well, let me win the lotto just once. Let me get this, let me get that. But King Solomon, the things that make him legendary, he says this. Your servant uh, says two things. Your servant is in the midst of people whom you have chosen, whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. It's first he recognizes that he is in this particular position, that he is over all these people. But what is interesting here is that he is saying, he is recognizing, no, while I occupy this place or this space and this position, God, you have chosen these people, these multitude of people. He is recognizing while he has power, while God is asking him or telling him he can have anything he wants, what he is first recognizing is that God has chosen these people. What would it be like, and this, this is the question that brings up for me, what would it be like for us the people of God today, to consider the multitude in our world, everyone, the people that God has chosen. I know that in this context, in our passage, we are talking about a particular group of people, namely Israel, the chosen people of God. But post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, what we realize that is that our chosenness is less about our pedigree and membership, but about God's radical yes to humanity. That's the story of Jesus, of resurrection. God's radical yes to humanity. What then would it be like for us? How would our interactions with our world, how would our church and ministry be different if we could look out at our world, not as the other, us against them, but as God's own, God's beloved? Would our choices or the way we choose be different? What would our interactions be like with our world? 
So first, he recognizes kind of the situation. And second, he asks for this. He says, okay, I'll give you an answer. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And as we read in our passage, he got that and more. The passage says that not only would God grant the understanding mind and the discernment, but also riches and honor. The understanding mind that Solomon asked for, I think, is this. This generosity, this merciful, this humble way of looking at folks. This understanding mind. Not just about knowledge, but our orientation towards generosity, mercy, and humility. And this idea of discernment, a lot of times, and confession, true confession, when I talk about discernment, sometimes I'm just trying to decide between two things, right? And there's an element of that. But I think discernment also brings into this idea not, uh, of understanding not the conclusion, but the directionality of how we're gonna orient our lives. How do we discern in our lives? Well, God would grant him also long life, you know, if, if only he would walk in his ways, in God's ways, keeping his statutes and commandments. So he asked for discerning mind, or understanding mind and, and discernment. Well, our passage goes on, and it says that he wakes up and realizes it's a dream, but he got the message. I don't know about you and what you think about dreams, but in my culture, dreams are a, dreams are a thing. Like, I, you know, there have been moments in my life where I dreamt something, and I truly, truly, truly believe it was a message from God. So was the case with this, with King Solomon. He realized it was a dream, but he got the message. And what did he do? He left Gibeon, went to Jerusalem, made offerings, and then had a feast for his servants. Notice that it did not mention a feast for his administration, his supporters, his friends, his, uh, his you know, high, high officials. No, none of that. He went to worship, and then he provided for the people. This was, not, this was the start of his walking in the ways of God. And so for us today, what does this mean? What can this story in 1 Kings mean for us? I know that First Free and other churches are now meeting in person like we're doing now. But not long ago, as the dangers of the pandemic forced our church doors to be closed and as we met solely online, the question arose for me, many church leaders, and perhaps for you as well. What is the church? What is the church? And a question that may feel maybe a little too vulnerable, especially for pastors who lead churches, what is the relevance of church today? Meeting now in person 
doesn't satisfy those questions or make those questions disappear. Because we cannot go on at business as usual because to do so is to live in a dream state and not in reality. To do so is to not wake up from the dream and move on with the ministry that God has handed to us. So much of our identity as a church is tied up with a building, the four walls, the property, so much of our identity is tied up with those things that the church has become less a launching pad for ministry out in the world, but a container for it. Do you know what I mean? It's become a container for the niceties of church. We can do church within the walls, and this is what church is. It's become a container. But when we're ready to do real life, when we're ready to wake up from the dream and get the message, when we've made up our minds to be the church, we have to leave our Gibeon, get to Jerusalem, worship God, and do the work of the church to serve, care for, and be in solidarity with God's people. That's the work of the church. Now, I happen to believe, in spite of all the things that I say about the church and maybe our failings, I happen to believe that the church is and can still be relevant in our world. However, I'm afraid that many churches, leaders, and otherwise nice churchgoers are stuck in Gibeon. We've made our encampment and settled there as if that's where God wanted us to be. Sometimes our brand of faith concerns ourselves more with protecting our rights and our comforts at the risk of failing to choose and do what is right for the care, protection, and health of our neighbors, supposedly the people that God has chosen, except the way we behave is as if we're the only chosen. We are more consumed with protecting our way of doing church than of having understanding minds Inviting those that may think differently, inviting those that are young, inviting those that are old. Instead, we protect our way of doing things. I know what it means to do our way of things. I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> we have our ways. There's a reason why people call us the frozen chosen, because we're just stuck in our ways, right? We're so consumed with protecting our ways that we fail to see God's ways, that we fail to have an understanding mind. When will our church recover an understanding mind and the kind of discernment that allows the flourishing of our world? I think we can do at least a couple things. First, I think we need to understand God's radical generosity for all humankind. Unless we can see God's radical generosity for all humankind, we will fail to experience that generosity. Until we can see the image of God, the imago Dei in others, we will fail to reflect the image of God in ourselves. God, from the moment of creation when he gave breath to Adam and Eve, to, to Jesus' incarnation, it was a radical yes to humanity. Why then does the church, do we, keep on saying no? Why then does the church say maybe later instead of saying that radical yes to our neighbors? 
We also, I think, have to understand, as a post-resurrection, post-Pentecost people, that we will need to continue to understand our responsibility and call to walk in the ways of God. Now, God answered Solomon's uh, wish for an understanding mind and discernment, and obviously he gave him more. But, uh, but that did not absolve Solomon from the responsibility to continue to walk in God's ways. In fact, towards the end of the passage, God says as much. I'll lengthen your life, I'll give you all these things, but you have to continue to walk in my ways. Solomon's human. We know this. Because as legendary as his wisdom is, as great as he sounds in our passage, if you know any more about Solomon's life, and if you read on to read about what happens, we know that Solomon fails. He steps off the path. Rather than liberator, he becomes oppressor. Rather than caring for the people, he ignores. He too has failed. He too is human. And we too are human. Yes, God is merciful. And we will make mistakes. But every day, we have to choose to walk in God's ways. As a husband, as a father, for any of you who are in any sort of relationship or your, your workplace, we may have to choose every day. I know I have to choose every day to be the father that I want to be. I know I have to choose every day that I want to be the husband that I seek to be. Why? Because life is hard right? Children can be wary. They can get on our nerves. And there are times when I edge towards the cliff, right? And I have to say, no, I choose to be the father that God wants to me, me to be. There are days when my wife, who is a much better person than I, <laughs> but even she can get on me, right? And I have to choose to say, I want to be a good husband. There are days when I just fail her, and I have to choose yet again. I have to be a good husband. Every day we are in relationship with God and walk in his ways, we will have to choose to continue to walk in his ways. And that's the responsibility of the church. Just because we accept Christ, you know this, it's not all over. There are so many songs in contemporary Christian music that say, accept Jesus and it'll all be fine. No, it won't. I'm sorry. Because every day we have to choose to continue to follow. That's the work of the church, to practice radical generosity to all of our humankind, to our neighbors, and to continue to choose to walk in God's ways. Friends, let me just say this. As we are, as y'all are in this series, Priests, Prophets, and Kings, I hope I have lifted up some considerations. And as we look at the story of King Solomon in this short excerpt, I want you to walk away with this. Get out of Gibeon. Go to Jerusalem. Meet God there. Worship. And go do the work of the church for the flourishing of our world. Amen? Let us pray. 
God, we thank you that in this short passage that we were able to see the story of King Solomon and be reminded that there is not only so much work to do, but Lord, really, you walk with us. You ask us, what is it that you want from me? Well, Lord, today, we want to ask that you would give us minds to understand and discernment so that we can walk in your ways, so that we can go beyond this container called the church building to be the church in our world, that we can be right witness in a world that's looking for you. Every day, would you help us as your people to choose to walk in your ways, that we may, whether we are, have a bad day and falter or we have the best of days, that our direction would be pointed to you. Help us as we walk along to understand and to feel your presence and help us to see that you are working in our world for the flourishing of our lives, for the flourishing of our church, for the flourishing of our communities, and for the shalom of the world. So take us out of our own Gibeon spaces and places and send us out so that we can go out into our world to the places that you want us to be, to be your witnesses. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.